Hey there. Welcome to Connect This. This is going to be a wonderful show today and a show that is dedicated to broadband parenting. So you can say, I learned it by watching you, Dad. I learned it by watching you. <laughs> or Mom. Uh, well, the frying pan, um, you know, this is your brain on drugs ad series that I took that from. Um, the mom never did drugs. Um, women are pure and um, would never um, engage in such um, uh, naughty uh, behavior, I believe. Got it. So, uh, Chris, should we put the huge disclaimer out for this episode? Uh, that I'm wacky? Well, that too, but um, I will speak for myself that I am on LTE slash LTE slash Wi-Fi out in Dallas, Texas right now. So who knows how long this will last. And I'm guessing Monica may be on the road as well. So with hotel Wi-Fi. Hotel Wi-Fi, yes. Now, and right. I can't I can't speak for Monica. Monica has wonderful taste. Travis, I find it entertaining that you look like you're in much nicer surroundings when you're on the road than when you're in your own home. <laughs> you like my go uh, mirror here in my camper? Pretty fancy, isn't it? So yes. Yeah. Well, somebody else designed all this. The house. I guess that was me. So yes, you are correct. <laughs> so uh, let's do some quick introductions. And we are still hoping that our fourth guest will be joining us. Uh, he may be stuck in traffic uh, as Monica was until very recently. Um, and uh, Monica's back. Monica was one on, on one of our early shows. We we're getting our footing. Uh, Monica Webb, who is the Senior Director of Market Development and Strategic Partnerships for Ting, which is uh, an ISP that, uh, you know, I've um, I, I like still, but getting nervous about how big you are. Uh, you do wonderful things. Um, hey, Robert, thanks for joining us. Uh, I was just I'm so sorry. I no worries. West Coast time or something. I don't know what I, my brain was thinking. So, yeah, no worries. I was just introducing Monica. So um, I'll introduce you in a second. But uh, Monica, do you want to let people know uh, what Ting is? Sure. Uh, Ting is actually a subsidiary of two cows and. You know, if you know, if you do know what two cows stands for, uh, you know, I will give you a special call out because uh, it gives you some pretty significant nerd cred. But uh, it was one of the original Internet companies back in 1993, you know, it was founded on the premise of increasing affordability and accessibility of Internet to the masses. And that's still, you know, a a very foundational value of two cows and, and it's very, it's businesses today. We do other businesses. We're also the second largest domain registrar in the world. And we also have a uh, platform for mobile and uh, soon to be internet services and Ting internet started in early 2015. And uh, famously, some of you may have heard of our partnership with the city of Westminster, Maryland, where they built and own the network and we provide services over top. And we also, the first market we were in was Charlottesville, Virginia. So we do uh, different models. We will partner with cities and, and other jurisdictions and, and also private infrastructure builders to just provide service over top, but we also build, own and operate and provide service over our own networks that we build. And currently we are in Maryland, going going east to west, Maryland, Virginia, North Carolina, Colorado, Idaho, and California. We have 14 markets in those cities and, you know, excited to continue expanding in those footprints and uh, and very interested in doing it with different models that that work well for cities and uh, and that also, you know, work for Ting. And 
until recently you were doing this thing too so um for people who are still confused we still use the name ting but it's not you anymore is that right yeah so so last year we actually uh, so i'll give you a little bit of background in 2012 we launched ting mobile in the united states and it was really founded on you know we're going to do things differently we're going to allow people to just pay for the the uh, data that they use on their phones. And when they call us for support, a human being is going to answer the phone and that person is going to be empowered and educated enough to solve your problems. It's not going to be, you're not going to be put on hold, you're not going to be escalated to technical support, et cetera. So that, those two things combined really led us to become a, you know, I'd say a cult favorite with a, with, with a small number of, of subscribers in the U.S. Super influential people like me. Yes, exactly. You and in, in, in some of the other great internet thinkers out there. And uh, we actually did, it, it did end up being, you know, more challenging as the other providers woke up and realized that, you know, people didn't want to pay that much for data. And so more value options were out there. It became more challenging for us to, um, you know, to get good wholesale rates. And so we actually sold our customers to Dish, but we continue to provide the platform for those uh, for those those customers on uh, of Dish, the you know Dish and its various cell brands, and that uh, that platform will also be available for, for available for other cellular providers to utilize uh, to provision and and bill their customers. And we're also going to do the same thing for ISPs in the internet space. Uh, that is that is something that uh, Ting will be the first customer of that platform. It's called Wavelow. We announced it last week. And uh, that's that's also another exciting development with the company. And I would say everything really hinges on the fact that our one of our core competencies is software development. And what that means for us and for our customers is we can really develop a fantastic, user-friendly and efficient platform that pleases users and also you know enables us to uh, provide services at better value to our customers because it costs us less. So it's a win-win. Monica, I feel like you're too polished now. Like, I feel like you're just, <laughs> you've been doing this it's longer. True. Chris, I feel like people yes. might not understand how much what a geek you are. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, Chris did meet me when I was, you know, I was living in Western Mass in a rural town and I had no broadband and I was, I was just learning about the, uh, you know, how to advocate effectively and, and get networks built. And that was, I think that was back in like 2007 era, 2007, 2008. So I, I, I think I've come a long way. Chris is still... Um, frustrating Rough. smart as he ever was. <laughs> I thought you were going to say like I'm polished and Chris is still a <laughs> volcanic. Chris's, well, Chris's hair lengths have been the biggest changes about <laughs> Yeah, no one looked for bass pictures of me. Um, so let's. Uh, I want to. I want to come back to something Ting does to see if um, um, Travis and Robert um, are interested in doing similar things. But uh, I want to go on to Robert quick. Um, Robert Boyle, CEO at Planet Networks. Welcome to the show. Um, we just got a tweet. One of our past guests, uh, Vico, um, he uh, says he loves Robert. So apparently uh, folks know who you are. I thought that you were, you know, an obscurity there in in uh, New Jersey. So tell us what you do. Vigo's a great guy. So um, uh, we are a, we've been in the internet space for a really long time. So we started out in 1994 as a dial-up ISP. So we've been doing this for a really long time. We were the first in our area with a local phone number. Um, we started doing it back when it was, AOL was what people knew of the internet or, or you know, 
that was most people's experience and people would get the AOL CD, put it in their computer and then get a $500 phone bill. So our initial marketing was a local number for AOL. That's how we sold our service. And um, then over time we'd say, hey, you know what, you have, you have training wheels, let's give you the real internet. And um, so we were the first in the area with, with DSL. We start, started deploying that in 97 and 99, we started doing, um, uh, started doing some uh, wireless and then 2000, we started deploying fiber. Um, however, because of the Telecommunications Act and a lot of different things that happened with court cases and getting access to polls and how um, the ILEX kind of fought to make it more difficult and, and make it um, you know, restrictive for access, we wound up kind of getting out of that business and focusing on our cloud business. So we, we grew that and um, became one of the largest. Extremely common, right? I mean, that's what a lot of folks did at that time. Yeah. So because we said we, we can't control the outside world, so let's at least control our little space and our data centers. And uh, we grew our, our medical hosting business. Um, we became one of the largest uh, in the world and uh, sold that to Dell Pro Systems, and uh, that became Dell Physician Services. Um, and then had a kind of a little phase there where I was just doing consulting stuff and trying to figure out kind of what's next. And in 2016, um, 2017, started up um, going through the process to become certified as a CLEC in New Jersey. Took about a year to do that. And, um, and then we've been seeking right of way grants and we're in New Jersey is unusual and that you have to get permission from every single municipality. And there are 565 municipalities in New Jersey. So um, it's very densely populated, very small state, but very densely populated, most densely populated state in, in the country. Yet we have entire streets where they can't get cell service. They have no DSL and they have no cable. So um, in, in the areas that are well served, they're very well served. In the other areas in the rural, more rural parts of the state, it's very rural. And so um, we've been deploying fiber since um, 2017. And um, we're building at, you know, in the beginning we started building very slowly and we had, um, we leased some fiber from some other competitive uh, access providers to get to certain neighborhoods. And um, we would work with new develop developments uh, to put fiber in the ground before they built. And um, lately, you know, last week we, we hung, I think 16 miles of fiber last week. So we're really accelerating a lot now and um, we're, we should have, we have many towns that are 100% coverage. We have uh, probably, we're working right now in about 20 different municipalities building out network. And um, we probably have, uh, right now we have a waiting list of over 50,000 people who want our service who we can't serve yet. So it's, uh, you know, and we, we offer very reasonable rates, um, gigabit. We're starting to deploy XGS Pond for 10 gig service. And um, we're very competitive and we don't charge any installs. There's no contracts. So our customers love us. We have like solid five-star ratings and everything. And, uh, you know, people very rarely ever leave our service. And we serve municipalities, nonprofits, um, businesses, residential, um, pretty much anyone who wants to be a customer uh, will provide a service for them. So Excellent. And then before we lose him again, uh, we temporarily perhaps have Travis Carter, the longtime co-host and uh, the champion of learning by doing at USI Fiber. Oh, no. Sorry about that. The phone hasn't rang all afternoon. Within, oh. what, four minutes of starting, it's rang four times. So I, I thought know. maybe you're having a connectivity issue as you're sampling oh, no, no, the different wireless uh, options. Yeah. So, so Robert, I, I, I got two LTE services and Wi-Fi right now, so we're hoping to survive an hour. You know, you get 
it's amazing how spoiled you get when you have proper fiber connectivity. So, well, last night, last night, I should have brought my scarf. Um, I was at the U.S. Men's National Team and uh, game here in St. Paul, Minnesota, where we set the record for the coldest soccer game ever, and um, an even more rec- impressive record, uh, the stupidest soccer game ever. As uh, there's reports that two of the Honduran players had to be treated with um, uh, for hypothermia, um, it was dang cold. It was really dang cold, and also and, uh, Verizon didn't work. Go? Yeah, why? Why would you do that? Well, if people go? are doing something really historically stupid, you want to be there to say you were there. As people talk about that for years and years and years afterwards. So, well, plus- I want to. I want to ask Monica. She said, "If we knew what two cows stand for, we were like nerds. If we've actually used windsock." As our only means for IP, are we super nerds then, or what? See, see, you, you're you're a, you're a whole other caliber of okay. um, a whole other caliber of nerd cred there. Like you all right, because I think we have Jim, Robert, and myself who are um, you know windsock veterans. Then. Yeah, That's Chris, did you, did you ever use windsock? No, no, I did not. Oh yeah, yeah. I did. Before windsock. Spoiler for those who are listening: windsock is the W in two cows. Yeah. Yes. And it's we, not uh, wind. Let's be clear, it's not wind sock, it's wind sock. Yeah, Windows TCP sockets. Wind, yeah, yeah, trumpet wind sock. Remember that beauty? That was a nice piece of software. Yeah. So I just wanted to finish the topic, uh, which was um, that um, Verizon didn't work last night in the stadium, um, even though there's amazing Wi Fi in Allianz Field. Um, and a lot of people were offloading on that, even that. Um, you know, just a reminder that, like, <laughs> Um, that wireless thing is still, is still, it's always the future because it's never the present, I guess, maybe. Um, so, you know, I, interestingly, we do the wireless at uh, Scott Stadium for UVA, which is a football stadium, and JPJ, which is their basketball arena. And we, it's, you know, there's a multi-gig fiber pipe into both of those facilities. And then it is, then it is um, mesh Wi-Fi access points in both of them, like hundreds of them. Right. That's probably like a capacity of like 60,000, at least 40, yep. 50,000, I'm guessing. Yeah. There was 19,000 last night. Beautiful. 19,000 people. Like it's not okay. that many people. <laughs> so. Well, it's, you know, it's the difference between relying on LTE versus, you know, an integrated Wi-Fi mesh. Mm-hmm. Probably. Yes. No, I'm sure that that's the case. And sometimes they bring in temporary, um, the cows, I think they call them. But, um, yeah. Um, only one, like multiple cows, not two. <laughs> right. <laughs> Certainly not two. Um, all right. So there's a lot of things that uh, we want to get at today. I did want to break the news to you guys. I'm 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 worried about your businesses. HughesNet is raising prices and they have better um, uh, bandwidth caps now. So wow. I don't know if you factored that in, if you've broke it to the banks that you might lose some customers. But uh, um, HughesNet satellite service is uh, improving, apparently. <laughs> Well, see, I thought you were going to talk about Starlink's business service at five hundred dollars a month. Yeah, I was thinking about that too. That's I thought you bring that's it up. That's what I'm very worried about. Twenty five hundred dollars setup too. So yeah, no, yeah, yeah, not bad. I was a yeah. HughesNet customer for fourteen years. I'm sorry. Yeah. Are those fond memories, Monica? Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. I, like I'll never forget having to. Um, you know, I would I would constantly go over the bandwidth limit and I was at the top package. And so then you had to call them and get a token. I mean, it was literally like, you know, what am I playing slots here in Las Vegas? What is with, you know, I have to get a token that would last me another 24 hours. It, it I just can't even. Well, the it, best what, line what, I ever got from them was when I when I went to the top package and they said, you're going to love this because you will be able to stream one movie a month. Wow. <laughs> 
Monica, I, as someone who's like now very integrated in the business, also the stupidity of like, let's uh, let's figure out how we can burden our customer service representatives with more unnecessary calls. Like, what is that? Um, so let's get let's talk about uh, other things. I want to start with a quick and easy topic because Travis had brought it up, and then we're going to get into the more deep ones. Railroad crossings, uh, Travis. Why did you? Why were they top of mind for you? And and let's hear if um, if Monica Robert has any any fun stories about the railroad crossings. Yeah, it was kind of an in interesting change that we ran into uh, at the end of last build season. I, I I assume you guys are doing a fair amount of underground, and um, we had a new requirement that came in from the rail the local rail groups where they no longer wanted us to run multiple conduits under the tracks. They want us to run a single six inch, and then we would then if we needed a second path, we would run another six inch, but they wanted at least three to four foot separation between them. It was just, a, it was an interesting change that we hadn't run into before. So now we're kind of scrambling to figure out, all right, so at, at rail crossings, we'll bring in a high bundle of uh, conduit from the east, high bundle from the west, single six inch under, and then do a high, high fiber count under the rail. So it was, it was just an interesting, um, tweak i guess to the uh never-ending amount of tweaks that happen in underground construction in our area so so we um we don't do any i'm trying to think if we do any i don't think we have any underground railroad crossings today all of our railroad crossings are aerial um it's still you know they need there's a huge stack of paper and it takes six months and everything mm -hmm. is just you know for literally 20 or 50 feet or whatever it is to get over the railroad tracks um but and, and it's sometimes that's more expensive than permitting the entire rest of the road um, to get that one crossing. But and we found the, the railroads that we work with are pretty reasonable. And as long as you kind of respect their process, we, we don't find it to be terribly difficult. The first one was really difficult. And then now it's pretty routine. Yeah, same for us. We, we tend to submit all the rail crossings, our very first permits we submit for the year. Mm -hmm. Actually approved by mid-construction season. Monica, that must be fun when you're doing like one market in one state and then another market in another state. And you just get to... <laughs> I see yeah, why you're expanding in Colorado now. Crossings. But, you know, I mean, you know, here, here's the thing that I would say. I'm, you know, fortunately for me, we have an extremely talented project management team that handles the details of that. And so I am not immersed in the details unless, you know, there's, they, they believe there's, there's something I can, I can help with with the cities. But I think the biggest issue with railroad crossings isn't so much the details of, of how you do it. It's that uh, the approval process from a timing perspective can be an unknown. And, you know, if you've ever done anything like, I, you know, done a renovation, you know, built a house, anything, you know that you've got multiple trades involved and you want to be able to schedule all of them. And the difficult thing with a railroad crossing in planning a project like building a network is that their approval times can be unknown. And so it does make it difficult to manage the overall the overall project. And of course, you know, as Robert mentioned, some some are better than others in terms of their process. I, I think that, I mean, Monica, that point I think is, is so lost on people who aren't in the business. I'm, I'm constantly trying to get folks in cities to better appreciate that um, an unknown amount of time is far worse than a predictable long period of time. Like <laughs> if you have a choice between like, maybe it'll take three days and maybe it'll take a half a year versus it will always take 30 months. Like, I think you'd rather want that 30 months to, for the predictability. 
Maybe not 30 months, but certainly a predictor. No, know. I meant 30 weeks. 30 months would okay. actually be a disaster. Okay. Yeah, no. Um, yeah. Yeah, wrong unit of time. Long. Yeah. <laughs> well, and there's a topic that Chris has uh, really championed here in the Twin Cities, and he's adamantly for this, is we're building a new light rail spur through our build now. And boy, that adds a whole nother level of complexity during the construction. So, um it's Chris, one of the few things only, they only went over budget like 800 million dollars well done you froze up tax money doesn't matter how much you know oh i'm so angry i mean when they were when they were it was only going to cost a little less than two billion to start to connect um, uh, a wealthy suburb to minneapolis by bypassing all of the population density of minneapolis um you know which is if you're building a rail line you really want to avoid population density because that would be a problem um and the amount of money they're spending on it could have solved you know like broadband in the metro basically i mean travis if they gave you two billion dollars um, to connect the 494, 694 circle. I'm guessing that that would be enough for you to just mow right on through it. Yeah, but if I could charge all kinds of overruns, it'd be like $4 billion, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> so, so talking about boondoggles and talking about um, construction, so railroad crossings aren't really that big a deal for us. How do you guys deal with crossing interstates and crossing rivers between states? We found that those are much more difficult. Specifically, Monica and Travis, have you crossed the Schuylkill? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. No, and uh, we haven't gone across state lines yet, so I can't comment on that. Okay. Yeah, interstate's um, actually fairly easy. We, we've crossed at least six times a year. That that we find actually relatively easy. Um, the Getting across like the Mississippi River, oh, that was a... That was an act of Congress to have that happen. Um, so then we cheated. We attached to the bridges. That was really easy. I actually found it very impressive here, at least up in the Minnesota, that when the, a lot of these bridges were built, there was conduit ducts put in place for first come, first serve. So if, if, you, um, if there's an open duct, you can just effectively use it and populate it. Wow. Yeah, but actually getting under the... Oh, man. You know, but... It's probably very similar to what you said about the um, the rail. It's probably the first time's the worst, and then once you know the process and timing to it, mm -hmm. maybe number two isn't quite as bad. I feel like interstates might be different in Jersey, though. Yeah, yeah maybe eighties so like eight lanes wide, ten lanes wide, and it's so it's a long and and the I don't know how it is in your states, but the interstate highways in New Jersey anyway. Are, are actually maintained by the State Department of Transportation, which is wonderful to work with. I have to say our NJDOT is just phenomenal. They're, they're really easy. The permitting process is simple. Working with them is wonderful, um, which, you know, you don't hear that about too many government agencies, but they've been wonderful to work with. Um, it's just the time, if you're doing something like crossing an interstate, it's like a year-long permitting process. So sometimes we don't but know. why is it? So, I mean, what's yeah. just a even if it's not a justification, like is the issue just that they need to make sure they know right where you are because they might be like totally rebuilding it at some point. Like why, why would it take that? Why would it be that hard to cross an interstate? I think it's just that it takes them a long time to approve your plans and you have to have, like if we just want to attach to a bridge or just attach to a tunnel, they're just like, just build it, just do it. No big deal at all. We just follow what's already existing and it's not a problem. But when we're crossing perpendicular, if there's already a conduit bank um, there and the power company owns it or the 
phone company, then we can use it. And that's, that's very simple. Uh, we have, I mean, obviously we have to license it, but um, that's a fairly simple thing. But you have places where like Route 80 might go through a town and you want to get both sides of the town connected in a bunch of different places. And so you wind up building a network infrastructure that's less optimal because there's only one crossing that's actually available to you. Um, so let's talk about the issue that I feel like is um, I was most excited about when I was uh, pitching both of you and asking you to, to join the show, which is, uh, you know, Monica, you just announced a whole new project. You're um, rapidly building in a number of different areas. Um, and Robert, I think, did you say you, you just added three new crews? What was the... Um... Yes, we bought, today I bought another placer truck. We have five more that I have to go pick up and we're adding people as fast as we can find them. We have total, we've got like 10 or 12 crews out there building every day. So, and, and as Travis said, uh, building season, like it's snow on the ground. We don't care. We just keep building. We build, uh, you know, every single day of the year. So my memories of that part of the country, it's slush on the ground. Usually. <laughs> yes. You know, we don't get three feet usually. So, um, and Travis, you, um, have you, when was the last time you doubled in size in terms of your build? Uh, this actually, this will be another double for 2022, the one prior 2016. Okay. So, so six to seven kind of tranches to double up. Okay. So let's start with you, Monica. You're, you're adding a whole new team in Colorado Springs now. Um, and I don't know, maybe that's different because you're the city's going to do a lot of that work and you're going to be working with them. But, um, what do you, what's, what are your challenges right now as you're increasing in size and trying to ramp up? Yeah, I mean, just to clarify that Colorado Springs Utilities, it uh, will be the one that will be building and owning that infrastructure. And, uh, you know, we'll be we'll be installing the customers and and servicing the customers uh, as their first anchor tenant. In okay, terms so let's look of, at Culver City then, for instance. I mean, Culver City, you're building, right? And trying sure, to yeah, we're building in Culver City and, uh, you know, and, and hopefully more places in California. So we do have, uh, we hired somebody a few months back uh, with a lot of experience with managing inventory and supply chain. And, you know, we have really started to, uh, you know, we already had some very strong existing relationships with vendors of key components. And he has, uh, you know, we're, we are ratcheting up the, the ante there with strategic relationships with our vendors. And we have also stockpiled quite a bit of, of inventory to make sure that we're able to build when we need to build and we, we have those materials available to us when we need to build. So, you know, I, I think that's probably the strategy everywhere. I will say that pre-pandemic, we were already contemplating uh, having redundant supply chains in the event that something like this happened. Uh, so, so fortunately for us, we were somewhat prescient in making sure we had redundancy of supply chains and making sure that we had adequate inventory, um, you know, prior to scaling up. And then the, the pandemic happened. So we've been somewhat maybe better positioned than some others. Is there someone on your someone on the team that can take credit for that? Where they were like, you know, like three months before the news broke in China, they were like, "Hey, you know what? We should be prepared for this." And then six months later, everyone's like, "This guy's a genius," or "This woman's a genius." <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say, you know, we as Ting has grown, as our operation has grown and scaled, we've really brought in the A team. We have a lot of uh, a lot of people with, you know, not only incredible experience, but um, you know, very impressive experience across the country, building, building, designing, procure, doing procurement for fiber networks. And, you know, I would say that our, 
our senior director of design and engineering, Chad Johnson, who um, had worked with other fiber providers and incumbents. He was the first one that sort of said, you know, hey, you need to have redundant supply chain. So that was pre-pandemic. So, so that was helpful there. And then we also have uh, a new VP of, you know, that handles all the inventory, Paul Pine. And again, he also worked at uh, one of the prominent other fiber providers. And uh, the two of them have really managed to make sure that we are well positioned to be able to scale and, and have the inventory on hand that we need. Now, as a public company, I know that this is public knowledge, but I don't know what it is. Um, how many customers do you have across all the markets? Uh, if you can hold on. Yeah, sure. I was just curious because I feel like while well, you're digging that out, um, because I feel like you're, you're it's weird because I feel like you're massive in that you're operating in different states and doing this different stuff. But like the actual number of customers you have today, I think, is not um, like out of whack with what Travis has and, and um, probably what Robert's anticipating to get to if I've read everything correctly. Um, so as, as of the end of the end of 2021, so December 31st, we had, uh, you know, just under 26,000. It, uh, subscribers. Yeah. So like, that's totally the same ballpark of, you know, Travis has more than that. And Robert, I'm guessing you're in that area. Is that right? Not there yet, but um, probably by the end of this year, we'll probably be three quarters of the way there. So. Yeah. So it's just, it's fascinating too. I mean, cause like Monica, you seem like you're a much bigger company cause you're operating in all these different places and your addressable market is pretty similar to these guys. Well, you know, I think it's, I think, I mean, I, I, I'll defer to their experiences, but you know, it takes time to build these networks one of the things is, is we've evolved towards, um, you know, we, we had done aerial in one market and most of the other markets were traditional boring and trenching. We're now evolving towards micro trenching because it is you know, four times faster. There's an urgency to deploy from, you know, the, the demand from communities and, and also works for our needs better. And so, you're working in warm places. <laughs> and we're working in places where you can micro trench year round. Most of them, uh, not all of them. But, um, you know, as a result, it takes time to build these networks. So you're building them. And as you're going, you're acquiring customers. But, you know, generally for a network to get built and then acquire customers, you know, that's that's and, and to a to a real scale, uh, you know, is is a few years in most markets. So oh, yeah. it's, you know, although we're building in lots of markets, you know, I, I anticipate that the you know, we'll, we'll see the customer bumps really start to uh, escalate as we as we finish those markets and move on to others. Robert, I feel like you just, the way you listed off what you're doing, it seems like um, I would guess maybe if you go back to talk about the supply chain three months ago, you might have been thinking it's harder than it's been. Um, but what, is that true? What's it like as you're expanding? Well, over the past two years, we've basically become a manufacturer. Most of the equipment that we use is stuff that we have contract manufacturers for that we can build ourselves. So like all of our taps, all of our drop cables, all of our connectors we use, all that stuff we actually have manufactured our specifications and I designed most of it. So we're we're not buying anything from like Corning or Comscope or anything anymore. We're just building with our own stuff. And it's it's been working great. And we don't have any supply chain issues at all at this point. So and we're also our 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 backbone fiber stuff, we have got on a schedule. So we have um I've been POs for you know next year, next spring, we have deliveries coming. So that stuff is all allocated already, already planned in production cycles for the manufacturers. And we're getting that stuff on a steady cadence. Like every 30 to 60 days, we're getting a container with like 40, you know, 40 foot container filled with fiber. So getting come to our door. So, but with the uh, talking about the labor, are you facing constraints oh, there? Labor wise, yeah, absolutely. You can't find anybody to work. And, and you know, we're 
our basic, you know, lowest paid people um, who are just starting with no experience are making $15, $16 an hour with full benefits, health, dental, life, and, and, you know, medical um, prescription, 401k with 4% match and everything. And you can't even get people to show up for interviews. Um, so it's, it's pretty crazy. I and mean, we are existing people are working hard and doing a great job, but uh, the labor shortage is real everywhere. So. So let me hand it off to Travis then. I feel like um, whether we pursue the labor issue or the fact that you manufacture all your own stuff, I feel like Travis is better equipped to ask questions about that. Well, I, I think what the moral of the story of what you're learning is, is everybody's way out ahead of the issue. You know, um, you, you know, you start getting orders in for 23. As I've told you, Chris, prior, we're, we're already getting orders in for 24, um, buying chipsets uh, ahead of time. And not Order in the some Kiefer, Kiefer Sutherland's. Well, yeah, you just you have to, you know, you just got to be. The other thing is interesting is, and I think this is sorry that that just totally failed. It was like the worst guy yeah, of the Joker. He he was the star of the show twenty four. So I'm just gonna, yeah. just gonna <laughs> you can all laugh at me. Edit that out, Henry. So, <laughs> so ahead, Travis. The thing I think yeah, the key thing to understand here too that I'm learning about the vendor industry is whoever has whoever has good money is going to. Get product. So if you're aging your vendors out 90, 120 days, or you're waiting for grant dollars to come in before you pay vendors, you need to redo your financial model. So I've got a new deal. Every vendor is paid within 30 days now, and it's really starting to open up inventory for us. Because basically what they're saying is they're saying, we've got X hundreds of thousands of feet of conduit. All right, Robert, Monica, Travis, you guys are all paying your bills. Here's your semi loads. You know, Chris, you don't pay your bills, you don't get anything. So that, 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 that's the reality. But the electronics, optics, and all that stuff, over, over, over buy, I would say, right now. And also make sure your network can adapt because these manufacturers are only doing certain chipsets now. Mm -hmm. So you may not be able to have the same SKU forever. You may have to adapt on the fly because there's a new SKU that's available and you need to work in putting it into your network. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, it's. it's Gonna be an issue. There's no doubt about it. Monica, when you're trying to figure out your ordering, I mean, are you you don't even know necessarily which markets are going to come through as you're negotiating with different folks on different partnerships and things like that? Does that make it more difficult, or is it just a matter of you're just you, you have a sense of how much you're likely to be building in the next year, two years, three years? Well, we have a pretty, I would say, it's a pretty comprehensive um, process around determining. Uh, timing and probability of markets. Um, you know, we have a very, very in-depth, you know, we're public, Tuca's a publicly traded company. So we have a pretty in-depth budgeting process where we go through all of that, uh, you know, and we, we break it down by what we're likely to be building by quarter. Uh, and that really helps drive our inventory. Now, I will say when we're negotiating with cities, uh, you know, that is a, that's obviously a process when we're working with cities and, and, you know, making sure that we're we both want, both of us want want each other as partners that uh we don't always make the announcement like the announcement we make when we you know it's a public announcement because again we're publicly traded it's when it's it's, it's finalized uh we try to start building as quickly as possible after that announcement so there's not a huge time lag and you know i think in early days we, we operated a little bit differently but now we make the announcement and we file the permit the next week. 
So it's it's everything is happening in very close succession. So that makes also that makes the planning the future planning easier. So hey, uh, Jim wanted to know, Robert, are you building your own ONTs? Uh, we are not yet, but we are exploring that possibility. Okay. Are you um are you guys both rolling rolling out GPON networks or are you rolling out active networks? So everything that we're doing from a consumer level is and small business is all GPON. Um, with a one to 32 split. Okay. Um, and then everything that we do uh, kind of on the higher end carrier, like we do backhaul for a lot of big networks and we do um, we, we do wholesale services and stuff. So that stuff's all point to point or dark fiber, depending on what the client wants. Are you um, evolving into XGS Pond now? Is that your next step? Yeah, so we, we built our whole network to work with XGS Pond and um, we're not doing an overlay, but all of our new pops that we're building are all XGS Pond. And then we'll come back and do an overlay over some of the existing ones when the demand uh, gets there. Did you increase the splits? Did you increase the split size then, or are you still at thirty-two? We're still doing one to thirty-two, and the reason for that is the economics work both ways. Um, and so we think that we there's kind of more future overhead. We're also a member. I don't know if it's official yet, but of the twenty-five uh, gig SGS or you know, twenty-five gig pond um, consortium. So we're kind of planning on that being, you know. The, kind of the next step after XGS bond. So, gotcha. Monica, you were going to say something? Monica, what do you guys? Well, so we were doing, you know, like I'm not a network engineer, so I, I don't want to make a lot of comments at a turn, but definitely we're, we're building XGS bond. Okay. Yeah. Big, well, big, to... big, big swing in the industry heading that direction, well, and... which I think is actually smart from a, uh, even from a uh, procurement standpoint, is there'll be a, a fair amount of XGS equipment out in the, out of the field here or in the market, I should say. And the pricing is getting to where it doesn't make much of a difference on the OLT side, um, or sorry, and, and on the customer side, we're seeing like eighty to one hundred twenty dollars, depending on what the equipment is. So, gotcha. Yep. So I was wanting to go back for a sec to see if I track that a little bit. Um, in switching from in, in GPON, you typically have a one to thirty-two split. You're splitting, you know, one fiber thirty-two ways, and you you share all the bandwidth. With XGS PON, you could actually do like a one to twenty-eight. Is that right? And then like, or sorry, one to one twenty-eight, and then you could still deliver a lot of a lot of uh, capacity that way, but you don't want to change that split down. Is um, so what I'm, I'm guessing. looking at it from the future standpoint that right now we have so much bandwidth because if people are getting one gig service and you're oversubscribing, like just a regular GPON for anyone who, who doesn't know, it's two and a half gigs down and 1.25 gigs up. Um, and then so you're splitting that. If you're selling gigabit service, you're you're oversubscribing 32 times. If you have one to 32 split, if you have a one to 64, it's 64x or whatever. So, I mean, it's not quite because you have two and a half gigs. So let's say you know, one person can get full gig while the other people are sharing the one and a half gig or whatever down. But um, I think that if, if you say, okay, well now that's what we're selling today. We're selling 500 meg service, 300 meg service or whatever and gigabit service. Um, with XGS bond, we have 10 gigs up and 10 gigs down. We have so much extra overhead. Let's switch it to one to 64, one, 128. Um, I don't have a problem doing that at the CO side, but I don't want to do that out in the field because in the future, you know, as bandwidth, requirements change people want things in 3d who knows what other applications come up in the future with you know virtual reality stuff or whatever where you need a lot more bandwidth and we're gonna have the same issue they have now because like you know 10 years ago a gigabit was just a massive amount of bandwidth and now we're saying hey that's not really enough so right you don't want to send someone out to the neighborhood to have to touch everyone's home ultimately that's the disaster right yeah exactly so. okay so one other quick question which was um building your own ont's 
Um, how exactly does that work in the sense that like one of the things that I've always been perplexed by is that like Gpon is a standard except for the fact that like Adtran and Calyx and Nokia don't like interact. So it's like not a standard, but like, can you just, if you're an Adtran platform, can you just build your own ONTs and start throwing them out there? How does that work? So, so I don't know if you want to take that, Travis, or you want me to take that or? Yeah. Well, I'll give you, yeah, go ahead. And then I'll give you my impression on so, that. Um, so I've, um, those three vendors you talked about. So Nokia is open. They'll work with anyone. doesn't matter what, you know, they have their own equipment, but they'll, they're standard space. They'll work with anybody. Um, Adtran is the same. Um, Calyx is very proprietary and, you know, they want you to use everything Calyx. So, um, you know, with, with Nokia or whatever, they're, they're open and you can pretty much use any standard-based chipset and it should work. So, I mean, I haven't used everything out there, but we've, our interoperability testing and stuff that we've done, um, the, most of the 10 gig stuff is a lot more compatible with the, than the, uh, you know, standard GPON stuff. Yeah. But XGSPON is, is, from my understanding, is substantially more open, you know, yeah. mm -hmm. and um, that was one of the real drivers of XGS. Now we cheated and we went active ethernet. So, Ethernet works with everybody, so you know we we use any, whatever we plug in, it works. But um, as far as we have some pockets in in the metro area here where we're a little fiber light, so believe it or not, Chris, we're going to try our first XGS pond deployment this summer. I'm gonna I'm gonna see how it goes. You know, so are you really gonna do it, or is this gonna be like a teragraph thing? Did you ever pop teragraph up somewhere? No, never put Teragraph up, never put in, what's that other one that everyone's talking about now? Tarvana or something? Carvana. Tarana, I think. Tarana, you know. Yeah. No, never. I, I uh, stayed in Tarana. Say that <laughs> again, you? Monica? I used to live in Tarana. Tarana, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll see. You know, X, X, I think XGS actually has some traction. It's 10 by 10, I believe. So I think it'll be interesting to see. But I think. I think I'm with Robert. We're gonna do a 60, uh, 32, 32 way split. See how it goes. Well, so this is so my understanding. I mean, my um, my mentor and a lot of the tech stuff is a guy who uh, was super into uh, the pawn uh, work, and his argument had always been that um, pawn is going to win uh, because uh, you have AT and T, Verizon, and others who are using it, and so the cost is always going to be really low because even if it's technically not as good, um, it's going to be tons of money for development and it's going to be cheap equipment because it's moving in such large uh bulk uh so i decided to throw that out there i, I would argue in travis's case if, if if he's able to put fiber in the ground at a reasonable rate you're never going to beat an 11 sfp for 10 gig yeah. I mean, no matter what the uh, ont you're using is it's going to be more than the optics so and you can get a media converter for ten dollars so like you're talking about twenty dollars for the cpe if you're doing active ethernet um, and you, you can use literally at least it's anyone's. So I, the reason we do it is because we're doing a lot of rural areas where I use 12 count drop cable to go four mm -hmm. miles down a road. And I can split that and serve 10 different neighborhoods with that. And it, it reduces our build costs significantly. And we're still giving people great service. Um, one of the, uh, I think Jim Troutman, I think um, commented and said he's doing one, 164 and we'll probably do the same thing. We actually have some, um, rack mount little boxes that we made that are one by two and one by four splitters that we use in the CO that we'll probably use in the beginning, but we'll still build everything out in the field as a one by 32. We'll have a one by four splitter out in the splice case somewhere. And that feeds a bunch of um, trunks that are feeding eight port um, tap cases, because that way in the future we move a patch cable and now we have um, 
you know, one by 32 at the equipment end. Um, so that makes a lot of sense, especially as the OLT ports are very expensive still. So relatively. And I, and I would, I would agree in your rural application that, uh, your, your pond strategies, you know, we're, we're right in the metro area. So density is, um, but I'll, I'll get, I'll give you one negative on active E is when somebody gets into one of your high count backbone cables, oof, it mm -hmm. takes a while to splice 34, 3,456 fibers back together. And that's for sure. <laughs> so uh, you got to be so your your uh, due diligence on underground and marking and watchdogs has to be spot on. But I'll tell you what, you're you're right, Robert. As far as when you're open like that, you know, optics are cheap, networks are cheap, Ethernet is is so well proven, and it's super easy to uh, debug and troubleshoot. So that's why we went that way. And, and the reason one customer. So like what? if we have a problem with a splitter somewhere or a case or something, you do something, you're troubleshooting because your know, light levels aren't right. You're affecting 32 customers. Yeah, Travis, yeah, exactly. customer. But yeah. I'll just say that like, you know, Robert, you'd mentioned your customer satisfaction rating and Travis mentioned his or has mentioned his in the past. And like when people get into this too much, I'm just sort of like, it looks to me like you could build a really good network either way. So uh, I feel like the holy war is a little bit uh, um, over. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we're kind of splitting hairs here. You know, it's kind of, but, you know, I, I would metro areas where uh, underground construction is incredibly expensive. I like to put in more conduit and more fiber. You've never heard anyone ever complain about having too much fiber in the ground. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think we scared away the non-technical people. We can get back to business <laughs> model issues, which I'm a little bit stronger at. Um, uh, Monica, can you give us a sense of how the um, Colorado Springs partnerships working? Because um, it looks really cool. Sure. Um, you know, I would say it's, um, it's more of an agreement and it is just uh, that we are the, you know, the first anchor tenant on the network that the that Colorado Springs Utilities is building to every premise in the city, uh, you know, and and I think you may have asked me about you know other other, other there are other providers that have done very limited fiber builds or spoken about doing limited fiber builds in the city, but this is to the entire footprint of Colorado Springs, which is quite a significant community, significantly sized community um, in that region of Colorado. And so the city will be building the network over the next approximately six years. They're likely starting in Q4 of this year. And uh, and we will be, you know, not unlike Westminster, we will then be lighting the network and installing and provisioning and servicing customers. Now, customers. you did say to every premises. So Westminster is interesting in that the city owns the drop fiber or the drop cable and the fiber, I think. And then you own the ONT, right? Yes. Uh, is that going to be the same thing in Colorado Springs then? I believe it's the same thing in Colorado Springs, but don't don't quote me on that. Okay. Because it's, you know, the the the, the, the team, um, was it the broadband group, is working with um, Colorado Springs, I think, also did um, the Huntsville and the Springfield, Missouri models, where in those cases, the ISP owned the drop cable, which, um, you know, cuts costs for the city, but then I think um, really limits competition. If it's if you're just getting already on the side of the house, then um, I think you may face more competition than um, CenturyLink or Google will in those respective cities. Yeah, it, it's definitely, you know, in terms, of, it, in, in terms of how we operate, how we interact with Colorado Springs utilities, it more resembles the Huntsville model than, than the Westminster model. Okay. 
the um the excitement i think is just that colorado springs has long struck me as like a very attractive city <laughs> i figured someone was going to be um, um really doing good work there a municipal utility it's a wealthy city 130,000 people 150,000 people something like that well educated it's kind of like huntsville uh, looks like a, a great city to be a fiber provider yes um, so um let me just ask then one other question of you, Monica, which is like, what are the like, general lessons you've learned in terms of partnerships? Because I feel like, um, you know, you bought a company, um, you built um, a network and then you partnered. And I feel like the next several things we saw, you were, you know, it was kind of not partnerships. I felt like, you know, reading between the lines, like I think everyone thinks Westminster is a success, but nonetheless, like maybe it was more work than, than building it yourself. Um, you know, what have you learned over the years? So, you know, I would say overall, we have a preference for building, operating and providing service over networks that we own. Uh, and that's got a, there are a lot of, you know, sort of micro reasons for that. One is, you know, and we've we've sort of we've seen this happen in other places is, and, and not what, you know, but to be clear, not Westminster. But, uh, you know, sometimes when you when it's a private private partnership and a network is built and uh you know, the city isn't treated well, or the residents aren't treated, you know, city isn't treated well in the negotiation or residents aren't treated well during the build, which is, you know, another entity on not Ting, then we follow on and we, you know, we want to have a productive working relationship with the city and we want the residents to subscribe. It, it creates additional challenges for us. And so, uh, you know, that's just one of a few reasons why it, it, uh, we now have a preference for building, operating, providing service over networks that we own. It's not to say that we we won't look at partnerships, um, just that you know, they'd, they'd ha the, the terms would have to be very compelling for us to, um, to move forward. And when you're partnering with a utility or with a city, you know that they, they care about their reputation there and they care about how residents are, are treated during the build. So that's, you know, that's, that's not really a consideration there. Additionally, when you, you know, when, when you build a network that you're going to operate over, you know, you're building it with the specs that are going to be most efficient for you to operate. So, so, so there's that additional, um, I would say, benefit. Now, the reason that we have always said that we would look at partnerships is because we really want as many Americans to get access to fiber internet as possible. And we can't, scale our own construction operation to to meet as to do that for as many people as we can if we partner in some cases or someone else is taking care of that the construction piece so it's really about you know getting more more better fiber internet to more people um, in the same time frame as as it would for us to build but you know that being said we are we're dramatically scaling up our our building capacity and, uh, and building, we will be building a lot more of our, our own networks in the years to come. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I want to come back to is how you do such great customer service because uh, you do. I've interacted with it on multiple occasions, both through Hover and through um, Ting Mobile. So, um, you know, um, uh, if you can beat Travis to building fiber to my house, I'd love to pilot, uh, you know, that service here in, in St. Paul <laughs> for fiber. Um <laughs> Robert, now, when you and I talked, one of the things that um, you were excited about on the panel in New Jersey was uh, you were very much open to the idea of partnerships, but uh, I, just, I don't think you've done many yet. Is that right? So we, in, in, in our state, um, there, 
there really aren't too many municipal utilities. There, there are two that I know of. One is in Vineland, New Jersey. The other one's in Butler. And we actually have a great relationship with the people in Butler, and um, we're working on a partnership with them. So um, it's a, an electric utility um, that the city owns, and we're going to be putting fiber throughout the town. We're basically going to build it. It's you know, and we have a a great relationship with them, like I said. So if there's any make ready to be done or whatever, it'll be a pretty simple process. But um, most of what we build is aerial. We actually just bought a directional drill and some a plow and some boring equipment and everything um, this past month. So uh, as soon as the snow gets off the ground, then we're going to uh, start doing some underground construction. But most of the other areas around here, um, there's an electrical co-op that we have a great relationship with. They don't really have any interest in building anything. And um, we so far with all the money that all the different towns and cities and counties have gotten, we have gotten literally a single penny from any of them, although they all talk about that they want to have spend money on broadband. But, um, you know, it's it. I find one thing that's really crazy to me, and I don't know if you guys find this is different towns in the exact same geographic area. One of them be very hostile to us and not want us to come in like, oh, we already have 5G. We don't need you. Or, or we already have cable, we don't need you. And then the other ones are literally begging us and saying, what can we do? We'll do anything we can to help make it easier for you to come into our town. And the two towns are literally right next to each other with the same demographics, same problems from a connectivity standpoint. So, but, um, you know, kind of a roundabout answer, but um, we were planning on doing our first one this spring with the Butler Power Company. Yeah, when you mentioned um, that a lot of the towns want to put money into it, but they don't get around to it necessarily, uh, it just reminds me that I want to have a healthier diet. I really do. Like, I think about it a lot. <laughs> it's just, you know, at any given moment, it doesn't seem like the best use of my time. <laughs> it's really hard. Um, and Travis, I, I'm just curious if you want to reflect on any of that as you've thought about partnerships. Um, and we've talked about it over the years. Yeah, the model that I liked was... Um the conduit model we've used some conduit that you know cities have put in the ground um but other than that i i tend to like to control the end-to-end -end experience and so if we utilize somebody else's fiber the goal would be to overbuild it within a few years and 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 move those customers over to our own network mm -hmm. but i i do find what robert said interesting because there's all these you know apparently all these mythical government dollars floating around and i have a sense that the individuals on this call including myself will see very 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 zero of it so. <laughs> I, I don't know i mean i'd be curious i mean this is one of the things that i think we're in monica where you being in so many different places you know it wouldn't surprise me if in virginia some of the places around charlottesville are, are giving you a call to figure out what it would take to get you to expand um you know there's there's areas where i could imagine you know you're um, it's up to you whether or not you'd get some of that money. Yeah, I mean, um, what I say, uh, Charlottesville is a really interesting city in that the city itself, um, you know, there's a core that's the city, but then there are people outside of the city limits that also have Charlottesville as their mailing address, but are technically in the county. So there's, you know, there are a lot of people that we can still expand to that are, you know, in the, call it the Charlottesville greater, you know, greater regional area. Uh, in terms of other cities that might be, you know, half an hour to 45 minutes away, um, most of them are are already covered, like Richmond is is covered by Verizon Fios, et cetera. Most of them are already covered either by an incumbent, uh, it could be uh, an ILEC, a CLEC, 
or uh, we're also seeing some of the regional electric co-ops that are covering the more rural areas. Sure. I guess what I, one second, Robert, um, uh, what I'm thinking of is more like, uh, we just did an interview this week on Community Broadband Bits with um, Monmouth Independence Networks, um, which had worked with actually Doug Dawson, um, and they expanded to another town. And, you know, it's one of those things where the business model works better to serve areas with density. And, uh, but the county came to them and said, well, we've got this, you know, these ARPA dollars, the rescue plan dollars. Uh, would you expand to these low density, you know, unincorporated areas with this money? And, um, you know, Reedsburg, Wisconsin has been wonderful at that. Cedar, Cedar Falls has um, from the municipal fiber providers. So um, that's where I feel like an opportunity might be, you know, Travis, like where you are in Wisconsin, you can imagine a, a county saying, well, you've done a really good job here. Could you go into these lower density areas if we just give you this money? Yeah. And, uh, you know, we're certainly going to look at when the rules come out, uh, you know, for for the new infrastructure bill. What that looks like, mm -hmm. uh, we you know we did look at uh, at a couple of places to do the um, the last round of funding that you know they, initially they said it had to be customers had to be lit by the end of December, uh, and you know that just wasn't possible. So we sort of opted out of that. But we'll certainly be watching when the the rules come out for the new infrastructure bill funding for broadband to see if there are any you know opportunities there. Robert, I steamrolled you. What were you going to say? No, no, I apologize. Um, one of the things um, I was in a um, so with these 565 different municipalities, we have to ask for right of way access in every single one of them. So we're just, we've been for two years, we just go three years now, just going through the entire state. So we, we were at one of the meetings recently, and I'm not going to say which town it was, but the item on the agenda beforehand was um, giving broadband money to Comcast was the topic of the item. And they basically said, um, oh yeah, well, we've been given this money from the government and we have to give it to Comcast. And um, they said, okay, well, do you guys just want to vote to just go ahead and do that? And then the attorney said, I think we have to do a resolution that you guys authorized to give the money to Comcast. And um, everyone said, okay, I'm in favor of that. So go ahead and prepare that for the next meeting. And the first thing I said when I came on, and uh, as I said, well, it doesn't have to be for Comcast and you should probably have an RFP and have some particular objective in mind. And if you're not going to do that, you should at least burn the money so you'd get some warmth from it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah we i've been i've been interacting with a county and um uh and uh we came in and we're sort of like getting our bearings and all of a sudden we saw there's a resolution to um ask to spend some money on a connection with at&t to build out to 90 percent of the population and like the first thought we had was okay like like this money is like it's one-time money to try to connect everyone who's going to do the last 10% if you're going to give this to a company that already doesn't do a great job to only do 90%, maybe. And like, I think we all know um, that uh, 90% to AT&T, uh, the, they use different calculators than the rest of us do in a lot of cases. Very true. Joshua um, so posted an interesting, interesting comment here. My biggest problem is trying to get enough people interested in fiber. Yeah, we still, That's we still, I mean, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, Monica, Robert, you probably run into people who, um, in towns, um, you know, people in authority and otherwise who are, um, are just like, oh no, like I heard that's not even needed anymore. You know, like, you know, we've got, um, I just saw today a, a prominent person who's well-educated in, um, in, um, like the, how the, the, the uh, movie industry works, like a very technical person on video cameras and, and making movies was like Starlink 
Starlink's changing everything. And I was like, Starlink has 145,000 customers in the entire world. And next year, they're not going to have very much more than that. Like, they're not changing everything. What are you talking about? Like, like more people have rural fiber, like, you know, like in, a, in, a, in a given month and Starlink's connected people. I don't know. But anyway, so, yeah. I'm not getting, let's talk about I'm ignorant not comments. About, I'm not hearing about uh, Starlink from anyone. But I will say, except for people that I know who live in rural areas who've said it is much better than the the former satellite internet options, but that was before not, HughesNet raised their, their, um, raised their bandwidth caps. Now they're going to be competitive. <laughs> Just <laughs> Monica. Knows. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. No longer HughesNet customers. So it doesn't matter, but um, yeah, I, I don't hear about Starlink. I think uh, what I do, you know, what I do think we still need to do though, is make sure all municipal, you know, all municipalities and the, the, staffers and elected officials understand the difference fiber can make to their community. That's still something that, uh, you know, that, that I work on educating. I still get people who, you know, they think wireless is going to, is going to do that. Uh, and they, or they think, you know, they just have to sort of deal with, deal with and live with the teleco and cable options that they have. Mm -hmm. the, the biggest thing that we run into is, is, one of the things is people say, oh, well, 5G makes fiber obsolete. And I say, well, whatever wireless it is, it's always a generation behind. I said, so 5G is going to give you gigabit connectivity. We're giving you 10 gigabit connectivity at minimum. And, you know, by the time they actually roll that out, we'll be higher than that. And I said, so whatever the five, whatever the current fiber is, wireless is always at least a tenth of that or slower. And I said, the other thing is, they a lot of times will say well but you offer tv what is it that you do exactly and so they don't really understand it's just completely beyond the scope of most people's thinking that there's another option other than cable and telephone so the fact okay well what are you doing you're doing that for businesses no we're doing it for for everyone everyone in the entire footprint that we deploy in we can provide service for and they don't need the cable company or the phone company anymore and and people wrapping their heads around that is difficult sometimes. And so you have to explain it like four or five different times in different ways. So, uh, so, um, I absolutely agree on that. I also, Monica, um, do you have, um, a meeting three minutes ago? Oh yes. Well, it's, it's, it's starting at three fifteen. Okay. So we are going to be wrapping up, but I did want to bring in one last thing that you do. And I just wanted to get a sense of, of how Robert and Travis react, which is, um, I don't know, it was about a year ago, I feel like uh, maybe roughly, where um, if you interact with um, with your customer service through two cows, any of the any related companies, um, you know, you, you talk to a person and they first sort of like, what's your problem? And then you explain it. And like you said, they, they understand it. These are educated tech people who are empowered to make decisions. Um, and, and rather than, um, um, uh, you know, complicated ways of trying to figure out if they're able to access your records, um, you know, you have a whole, you have a system now that pretty effortlessly allows them to um, get my permission to unlock the record for some period of time where they can have access to my account. Uh, I assume that's for some sort of like account safety kind of thing. But, um, you know, I, um, it, it, to me, it seemed really elegant and nice and comforting. And I don't know if you want to say a word about that, if you're familiar with it, because um, maybe I use more Ting products than you do. <laughs> Unfortunately, I've never lived in a Ting market. Uh, you know, I certainly had a, a you know, have a, a Ting cell phone in the U.S. But, uh, you know, I, I think I would just say on a from a broader perspective for two cows, 
we have, you know, I think we have fairly tirelessly in, in, you know, starting with the domain space, because that's where this was, you know, that's where this, these issues initially came up, but certainly across our company, every, everything that we do, two things that are really important, consumer privacy and net neutrality. So I'd say, you know, that being elegant and being only for a limited time, um, you know, that's, that really is about our dedication to consumer privacy. And we do have these, you know, great tools that help people sort of control their experience as much as they can. That's one of the things that we noted when we launched the cell phone company is people wanted to better control, uh, you know, their usage, have better visibility into what they were using, um, better, better control over, um, you know, other people on their plan, et cetera, things like that. Uh, so th that's having a software, having the, the capability to do the software development work that we do enables us to customize our platform more nimbly and better for what people are looking for. So I know that's not specifically about that feature, but mm -hmm. I would say Nobody. that reflective of our general attitude towards, you know, respecting consumer privacy is really important, we believe, and, and uh, you know, net neutrality is a different issue, but also that we can develop features that help people feel uh, more secure and more in control of their experience. Yeah, our our community broadband bits show next week is um, actually with the folks uh, from Monmouth and Independence or one of the people. Um, and at the end of the show, we talk about the OSS and how they custom wrote it that they use. Um, and it's uh, I think it's kind of interesting. And I just wanted to throw this at uh, Travis and Robert to get a sense of, you know, whether you use any special tools to ensure customer privacy or how you think about that. And Travis, I don't know if you want to go first or. Oh, no, no. Yeah, go, yeah, go ahead. Um, so everything that we use is custom and that has been a key differentiator for us for 20 plus years is having our own software and being able to control the experience. If we need a tool, we build it. And if we, our customers has a good suggestion, we say, that's a great idea and we build it. Um, because all the stuff that's off the shelf and I apologize if any of you had any part in any of the off the shelf stuff is all garbage as far as I'm concerned. So, uh, we haven't seen any good commercial software for companies like ours. Yeah, I, I guess I would echo that sentiment, you know, is control your own destiny. I guess it's one of the reasons we never got trapped in somebody else's ecosystem is didn't want to be trapped into what they had. So in order to provide maximum flexibility and honestly, certain things that I just take for granted when I talk to some other operators, they're like, wow, really? You can do that? You know, you just onboarding customers like we do. You know, the theory I always had is you should have your inner internet live within five minutes or less, you know, from the time you decide to have it to decide to buy it and not make it difficult for people. So it's uh, it's the mantra we try to use, be the customer and the tools that we build would be tools that you would want to use if, if, if you were buying service from us. Excellent. Well, I really appreciate everyone jumping on today. Uh, it's been a, I think a good in-depth conversation, like the kind that we like to have at uh, connect this. Um, so can we, uh, can, we, can, we one, can we do one last compliment to hotel Wi-Fi slash dual LTE Wi-Fi on the road here? It survived yeah. the one hour and seven yeah. minutes. Monica's well, Monica's Wi-Fi definitely wins. Travis, yours uh, certainly did better than it when you were in Michigan. Oh, yeah. Anyone who's okay, I just got to use this every time. 14G is what I think is going to actually be the wireless technology that wins. But until we get there fiber for for everyone i'm i'm waiting for quantum entanglement then that's going to be our upgrade after that so
Ooh, maybe I'll steal that. That's better than mine. So, all right. Do you, do you remember what you stole from Milo, or did you already forget that? Uh, you know, I'm 52 now. I can't hardly remember anything. So I got to start writing this stuff down. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to thank everyone. Uh, next week, we are going to uh, have a return to um, the regular Doofus squad. Uh, me, uh, King Doofus, uh, with uh, Travis, Kim, and Doug. And, uh, you know, we don't know what we're going to talk about because the news hasn't happened yet, but it's going to be interesting. And, More government-free money, I bet. Oh, I'm sure that will come up. Coming so, to you. Um, plans are coming to you. <laughs> and and I'm going to figure out when I lost the bet to Travis because I don't think it's yet, but it's coming up soon. So Hey, can we talk about, like, the topic Joshua brought up? I thought that was interesting. How? Why do you have to talk people into fiber? Instead of just start we, building it, it's amazing. Yeah, I mean, we talk more but, about it. We did yeah, talk about it a little bit, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, that'd be a, that'd be a good topic because because I think people misunderstand. You don't need to ask permission. Just well, start, I mean, as Robert permit, mentioned, in some places permit, you do. Permit? No. <laughs> oh, I bet Robert can find a little pocket where he doesn't need to cross anything too hard. So, but uh, <laughs> all right, another day, another topic. All right, thank you, Robert. Thank you, Monica. Uh, Travis, it's been uh, wonderful as always, and um, that's it for connect this. Mm-hmm.